Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to speak your word. Thank you for giving me utterance in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians Ephesians 4. All right, we have been talking about the local church, and we're going to continue to do so, because the local church is absolutely essential. Say essential. Absolutely essential to God's plan for the ages. The Bible calls the local church the pillar and the ground of the truth. It's absolutely essential to God's plan for the ages. Absolutely essential to God's plan for us as individuals. And so if you think the local church is dispensable, you don't understand God, you don't understand the gospel, you have no idea why God saved you. And if you do not learn to value and to relate to the local church biblically, you will never walk in God's perfect will. Because God's perfect will is for you and me to function within his body. And we read last time I ministered, Romans 12. If we're going to prove the perfect will of God, he tells us what to do. If you read that chapter, you'll find that he begins to talk about how each of us being individual members of the body and how each member using the gifts that God gives them is supposed to use it for the building up of the body. And so you cannot, I cannot, we cannot walk in God's perfect will if we don't understand the role that we're called to play within the local church in order to build up his body. So I'm sharing this because I I believe there, most of you here want to walk in the perfect will of God. You want to do God's will. So you do need to have knowledge from the Bible of what God's will is and how to conduct yourself so that God's will is done. I read yesterday a comment made by someone, again, on Facebook, um, and they were having this discussion, and this person is supposed to be saved, and he said, due to the advancements in technology, he does not even need to, quote-unquote, attend church because he can simply download church.com let me repeat that due to the advancements in technology I really don't even need to quote unquote attend church and we told you 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 shouldn't be attending church anyway right because the church is not a place you attend the church is the body of Christ so we gather we gather as the church in a particular place So this morning, you're not attending church. Since we are the body of Christ, we gather as the church in a particular place for word, for worship, for work, right? So we gather, say we gather for word, for worship, for work as the church. But let me use this term, and that's a term that all of us use from time to time, but we do use it incorrectly. He said he doesn't have to attend church because he can simply do what? Download church.com and basically have church all by himself at home. Said to your neighbor, you cannot 
experience church, be church, have church alone. It's impossible. By definition, the church is the body of Christ. And each of us individually is a member of that body. So you cannot have church by yourself. You cannot be the church without others who are part of the church. To be the church or experience the church, you've got to recognize that you're a member of his body. So here's a guy who's very, very ignorant and doesn't know it. Here's a guy who's very, very wrong and thinks he is right. The local church is not an afterthought. It's not, as I told you a few weeks ago, it's not a drugstore that you just go to get something to relieve your pain when you needed your pain relieved and then you go. It's not a cinema or theater where you go to relax, get entertained, get your mind off of some other things, reduce stress, and then go about your business. That's not what it is. It's not Walmart or local department store where you go looking for everything you need and hope you can get it at low a price as possible. So there's something for my children, there's something for my husband, there's something for my wife, there's something for me, and I want it, and I want to get it and pay the lowest price I possibly can. That's not the local church. We are not to relate to the church as consumers. We don't choose a church based upon what's there for me to consume. Jesus makes you part of a church because you are his body and he puts you in a body so that he can work through you to build up that body and work through that body to build you up. All right? So if you're part of this church, then Jesus gathered you here with other believers because he wants to build up his entire body. And to do so, he's going to use individual members working through us in our individual gifts for the purpose of building up the entire body. Now, as the entire body is being built up, as each individual is allowing God to work through them, each of us individually gets built up in the process as well. Are you hearing me? So, you're here today, you gather here today, God made you part of a local church because God wants to work through you to build up this entire body. So don't identify with a church like a consumer. Don't relate to the church like a consumer. I come to get something for me and that's it. No, I'm a part of this body. God's spirit lives in me. God has made me part of this body and God wants this entire body to grow and to reach maturity and God wants to use me to serve this body so that it grows even as he will be using other members to serve me and the body. Okay, I want to hear one or two amens. Amen. Say amen. amen. All right? Yeah, so listen to me. I know today you can go to Amazon.com and you can buy just about anything you want without having to get out of bed. Don't leave home. 
But what God wants to do in you, what God wants to do with you, what God wants to do through you, cannot be found online. You cannot get it from Amazon.com. You can't purchase it. You can't find it even on church.com. Just can't do that. So let's look at what God has to say. Let's take what God has to say about this matter of unity and oneness in the body of Christ and how we need to work together in unity. Let's see what God has to say. Let's take it seriously. Let's decide to obey his instructions. And now let's start, stop allowing ourselves to be deceived by devils and by lukewarm, half-committed Christians or so-called Christians. Are we ready for the word? Now I'm going to read from the Message Bible this time because I believe he paraphrases it in a way that will help us grasp hopefully more clearly what God is saying to us. All right? So Paul has said a lot of things in Ephesians chapter 1, and now he says, in light of all this, basically in light of what Christ has done, our redemption, all of the transformation that has taken place by Jesus, in light of the wonderful fact of our redemption, here's what I want you to do. I want us to read it together. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path. Okay, do I need to interpret that? Or is it clear? Say that neighbor, God doesn't want you sitting around on your hands. God doesn't want you strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. There's a road he's called us to run on and to travel, right? Okay, next, next. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for, pouring yourself out for who? You can't do that on Amazon.com or churchonline.com. He wants you to do what? Literally be pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love. Don't have to comment, it's clear. Verse 3, alert at noticing differences and quick, oh my goodness, quick at doing what? Mending fences. In other words, you can assume that when we gather together like this, there'll be things that will happen that are not always pleasant. God wants us to come together, gather together, and work together, but he knows as that happens, we're going to step on each other's toes. Are you hear me? We're going to offend one another. And when you get very, very, very close, you smell all kinds of things. You follow me? Right? You can't do that on Amazon.com. You can't smell anything. You, you can't step on anybody's toes. You can't offend anybody. But God actually wants us 
to have many opportunities to forgive one another. Hmm? Part of growing up and maturing is to be able to mend fences. Too often in the church, when one person does something that hurts the other one, the one hurt blames the entire church. Those people in that church, there's no love there. And either they withdraw and start to just be by themselves or they leave because they've been offended. No, no, what the Lord wants us to do is, when necessary, do what? Mend fences. If I offend you, come and talk to me. Remember, we are one. Okay? We're not trying to be one. We learned through, through the powerful teaching of uh, Dr. Kashmir that we're already one. And when we read this scripture, the Bible says there's one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. In other words, we're already one. And what we're told to do is to maintain the unity of the spirit. Endeavor to, to, to maintain it. The Amplified Bible says make every effort to, to preserve the unity that already is there. God has made us one. He says now preserve that unity at all costs. So mending fences. Do you need to mend some fences? So that the body of Christ may grow up and you can continue to give what God wants to give through you and receive what God wants you to receive through the body? Then go ahead. And mend those fences. Fix those relationships. Let's read on. You are all called to travel on the same road. And in the... <clears throat> to stay together both... Oh, let's read that. Let's read that. Let's read that again. You see, here's the problem. We have been deceived into developing an individualistic approach to our relationship with God, which is completely unchristian. We are valued as individuals, yes, but as individuals that are part of a body. God is concerned about his body, and he's concerned about each individual as a part of that body. But this individualistic approach to Christianity, where God has a plan for me, and it has nothing to do with you, and, and each of us is going our own, working our own road, <clears throat> and we don't care about the road that others are walking on. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not Christianity. Say, so we are the body of Christ. My arm doesn't go this way, my leg go that way, my head go this way. No. My entire body goes in the same direction. Now, as my body is moving in the same direction, the individual parts are doing their individual assignments, but we're moving together. All right? So let's say that again. Read it again. You are all called to do what? Travel on the same road and in the same direction. So do what? Stay together both You have one master. Now what he's doing here, he's letting you know that you're already one. And here are all the reasons that you're one. And in light of the fact that you're one, act like you are one. Think like you're one. Stop acting as though you're all individuals separated from one another. 
He has joined us together. Now he said, behave like people who are joined together by me. Okay, so let's read this. You have what? One master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with what? Oneness. Wow. Say to your neighbor, we are one. Look at all the things we have in common. Yet the enemy will have us focus on our differences. And then we divide ourselves based upon our race or based upon our nationality or based upon our, our native language or based upon our uh, age, old, middle, young. We divide ourselves based upon so many insignificant factors. And what he's saying is look at all that you have in common. Aren't these things far greater than the, than the minute and insignificant differences that we tend to put the great weight upon? That's the work of the enemy. Getting us majoring on the minors and missing the majors. So let's look at our unity and celebrate it. Say, no, go back, please. One God and Father. Go back to verse five. Together. You have what? One master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. For the sake of time, we'll stop there. But you can read that entire chapter, and it keeps building on this theme. We are one. The local church is one body. We have one father. We got all of these things in common. And we're supposed to be, verse 3 in the, in the, in the, the, the New King James says, we're supposed to be endeavoring, making every effort to preserve this unity. How are you going about conducting yourself for the purpose of preserving this unity? Is that a concern that is paramount in your life as a child of God? Are you consciously making an effort to preserve the unity which Christ has created in making us one body? It is the enemy who wants to divide us. It's the enemy who wants to separate us. It is Christ who has made us one, and it's Christ who wants us to do everything within our power to preserve this unity. If you want to do something very significant that will really please the Lord, commit yourself to the cause of unity within his body. Huh? <laughs> commit yourself to using the gifts that he has given you to build up his body, not just to build yourself up. Remember, the eye is given for the head and for the body. The body is not for the eye. The eye is for the body. The arm is not for itself. The body is not for the arm. The arm is for the body. Each of us exists primarily for the sake of the entire body. 
unless we understand that, we don't understand our value. All right? So unity is critical. And building up the body that Christ has made me a part of with the gifts that he has given me is critical. It's a critical, non-negotiable part of God's plan for each of us. And if we want to please God and do the things that please him, then we've got to embrace that. That's the word. So as I was contemplating this, I asked myself now, if I wanted to divide the church, if I wanted to prevent God's perfect will from being done, from the local church really working together as one, as God teams it, what are some things I could do? What are some ways I could think that would divide and limit and hinder the unit of the church? So I started to think about it. And I said, you know what, let me, let me go on, online and see what's, what some other people think. What are some of the lists that are out there? And I saw a lot of different lists. They were not all the same, but there are certain things that were common. One particular list I thought was, would, would be very helpful for us this morning. So I'm going to use this list. Now, what I'm about to say, this is not my list. This is someone else's list. But I believe this list is concise and covers most of what we need to be concerned about. Okay? So here it is. If, if you want to divide the church, if you want there to be disunity, here, here's, here's, here, 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 here's a list. One, these are, I'm going to give you five sure fire ways to destroy unity in your church. Okay? One, talk negatively about other people. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to read it just the way he had it, okay? You can talk about people's past mistakes, talk about how people are ill-equipped to serve. You can talk about how certain people just rub you the wrong way. Talk negatively about your people, about your pastor. Talk negatively about the members. If at all possible, do it behind their back. You want to destroy unity? Start talking negatively about the people in the church. And if, if you really want to rub it in, talk behind their back so they have no way to explain or to clarify the things that you're saying about them. Hmm? So that's something to avoid unless you want to, you want, you want to give the enemy a tool to disrupt unity. Huh? Talk bad about people. Talk bad about your church. Criticize everything you see. It's, it's amazing, right? How so much good could be happening. And when one thing goes wrong, people talk as though there is nothing good happening. Uh, something else somebody said, he says, it's amazing how much good you can do for people Un until one day you don't do what they expect and all of a sudden you are the worst person that ever lived. You know what I'm talking about? It happens. It happens. I, I guess it's a sense of entitlement, right? But usually the people who, who will spoil your name and who want to have nothing to do with you today, 
If you trace it, these are people who you did a lot of good for. All right? You did so much good, they got to the point that they felt you had to. You, they were entitled, and one day you didn't respond to them the way they felt you should respond. They, 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 you are the worst person I ever lived. Right? You know it individually, but we do that to the church. It's amazing how the church could be a blessing to you in so many ways. You come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you're hearing a word that is blessing you. Worship that is helping you. People who are praying for you. For years, then one day something goes wrong. And that church, those people, and before you know it, you are gone. And when you go, the only thing you'll talk about is that one thing that didn't go your way. Bishop, you should have stayed in Cameroon another week. <laughs> no, we're just going to be honest, right? Amen. The Bible says the scriptures are for doctrine, reproof, correction. So doctrine is important, but reproof and correction are necessary. All right, and so we're correcting certain attitudes because we want God to be glorified here. All right, so one thing you can do to divide the church is what? Just talk negatively about people and to make it worse, talk behind their back. Somehow, it gets back to them anyway. Oh, you know, she said. So now the person to whom you were speaking behind my back now comes to speak behind your back. Say, all of that is of the devil. <clears throat> Here's another thing you can do if you want to destroy the unity of the church. Judge other people's motives. Now, he's being sarcastic, but this is how he reads. He says, he says, I know you don't know what's in someone else's heart, and I know you cannot read other people's minds, but destroying unity requires that you pretend like you can read other people's minds, that you pretend that you know what's in other people's hearts. You should regularly say things like this. I'll tell you why she did it. I'll tell you why he said that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't know my heart. I don't know yours. You can't read my mind. So if I say something that you don't find, you don't agree with, it's okay to say I don't agree with the statement. Okay, I don't agree, agree with that. But to say, to start to ascribe motives, oh, he's jealous of me, that's why. Or, or he's doing it because he, he, he doesn't like people from my country. Huh? Or he doesn't care. All he cares about, listen to me, you don't know my heart. You don't know why we make decisions. If a decision is made wrong, you can say, I think this decision is wrong for these reasons. But don't go beyond that and start to ascribe wrong motives and wrong desires to me that you cannot prove. If you think I may have a wrong motive, come and ask me. I may tell you why I did that, and, you might, and, and hopefully you'll, you'll believe me when I tell you what, why I did it. 
But too often we break off relationships not because what was done by itself is so bad, but because of the motive that we ascribe to the person. So something that really is relatively small becomes big because we, we ascribe a very bad motive to something very simple. All right? Now, you see my hand? It's, there's no, it's, it's well, there's nothing there, there's no sore, so I can hit it. And I don't react. Right? Uh, let me shake your hand. Amen. Good handshake, right? Strong handshake, right? All right. That's because his hand is well. But if he had a sore on his hand, the same handshake, what would you do if there's a sore? The handshake is the same. The reaction is different because of the sore that is on his hand. Amen. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't intend to hurt him. I was simply shaking his hand. Now, he could have said, oh, Bishop, you hurt my hand. And I said, oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. He's like, oh, I didn't know you have a sore. But if he leaves here and said, Bishop, you see, Bishop, Bishop knew that my hand was hurting. And, 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 and you follow me? He has ascribed what an evil motive. Now, it's not simply he didn't know my hand was hurting. Now, he knew my hand was hurting, and he intended to hurt my hand. That's why he squeezed it so hard. So now he goes and he starts talking to everybody, tells his wife, Bishop, don't, the Bishop is not the man you think he is. So. <laughs> Are you still here? All right. But again, the point is, don't go around ascribing motives and acting like though you can read people's minds and you know why people are doing what they're doing. You don't. If you have questions, ask the questions and let them explain. Okay? Here's a third thing you can do to destroy unity. Keep to yourself and wait for other people to initiate a relationship. Start with the assumption that life revolves around you. After all, why should you go out of your way to initiate a relationship with someone else? Just sit back and wait for people to come to you. When they don't, then ascribe motives. <laughs> I was in Cameroon just recently, and there's a lady who was a part of the church Years ago, something happened. She's, she hasn't been attending the church. But I think she wants to come back after many years. So she was talking to someone about why she stopped coming. And she felt that so for some reason the people had developed an attitude towards her in the church. And she, she said, even Pastor Chris. <laughs> and the last time Pastor Chris was there, the way Pastor Chris looked at her. 
Pastor Chris doesn't even know what I'm talking about, who I'm talking about. Got no idea that she was one of the reasons why. <laughs> but hear me, listen to me. When you have on blue shades, everything you see will be blue. If you have on red shades, everything you see will be red. I can have a white shirt, but you see red. It's the problem is not with my shirt. The problem is with the lens you're looking through. And so if you are the kind of person that always feels somebody don't like you, somebody doesn't want to talk to you, somebody looks at you funny, 100% of the time, your problem is not with the people. There's, you've got to change the lens you're looking through. The truth is you have a problem with yourself. The way you see yourself is wrong. And because the way you see yourself is wrong, you believe everybody is seeing you wrongly. All right? All right. So, again, you don't know my heart. You don't know my mind. If you have a problem with my actions or my words, just describe to me what I said or did that you didn't appreciate. Hopefully, I can explain it in a way that makes you feel better. If I did wrong you, I can say I'm sorry. Okay? Here's another thing that you can do to destroy the unity of the church is to refuse to forgive. To refuse to forgive. Hold a grudge. Don't let go of past hurts. And you are, sh you are sure, sure to divide the church. Hear me, people. Jesus said that we should do what? Love one another as he has loved us. How did he lo love us? He forgave us. He forgave us. I will hurt you sometime. You know, the, the reason why uh, it, a lot of people can go to very large churches and stay there for a long time is because they don't have to interact with anybody. Nobody knows you. You're just there, get the sermon and go. That way nobody will ever offend you. But if you get involved in the life of a church, you will be offended. Don't think it's strange. And you will offend people. Don't, that is normal. <clears throat> but there's a normal way in the church that we're supposed to deal with offenses, and that is to do what? Forgive one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. That should be normal too. And if the situation is such that you need to talk to the person, then talk to them. But for the most part, what we do to one another, we do without intending it to happen. For the most part. So, so just make up your mind to forgive everybody in advance. Isn't that what Christ has done for us? Don't we preach and teach? He has forgiven all of what? My past sins, all of my, and all of my, that means he's forgiven them in advance. 
So all of my sins have been forgiven in advance. So God wants us to do the same. Just go ahead and forgive everybody in this church in advance. We're talking about promoting the unity of the church, right? We're talking about making the church strong. Amen? So let's do what? Forgive. Everybody look at Bishop. I said, Bishop, we forgive you in advance, oh. Come on, everybody. Bishop, I forgive you in advance. Amen. So now, when I say I'm a forgiven person, I'm not just saying I'm a forgiven person by God. I'm also saying I'm a forgiven person by the church I pastor. I'm a forgiven person. Oh. <laughs> Amen. So I, 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 hopefully I will never intentionally harm you, hurt you, but because I'm human, I will sometimes say something. I will not be as sensitive as I need to be. You would expect a little bit more from your pastor than you receive. However that happens, hear me. Thank you that I am already forgiven. You won't hold that against me. I'm already forgiven. You say bishop is human too. Sit to the person next to you. You are human just like me. You will make mistakes just like I do. So I forgive you in advance. You know, more marriages will last longer, be happy and stronger. Come on. No two people offend each other more than a husband and wife. That's just a reality. If you, if you don't want to experience offense, disappointment, pain, don't get married because no two persons offend and hurt each other more than a man and a woman who are married. So if you see Pastor Chris and I still copy, hey, we forgive each other in advance. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, my goodness, in advance. You know, there was a time when we would, you know, something happens, then she would not speak to me. It looks like there's an anointing here to go into marriage. Huh? That's why Pastor, Pastor P last week went into marriage. <laughs> Amen. She won't speak. But we've grown wiser. That's a, it's a complete waste of time. So now, I'm not saying we don't fuss, or we still fuss. But we don't fuss as much as you said, but we still fuss. But right after we get through fussing, we say, let's go eat. <laughs> we, go, we go to the restaurant, and it's like nothing happened, amen? We call, you see, none of that days and days waiting for someone to say, I'm sorry. Nah. It, 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 we realize that's just part of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we don't think it's strange anymore. Amen. We disagree, and we through disagree, we go and agree. And we do what we need to do in Jesus' name. Say hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So let's do this. Let's forgive one another in advance. Say hallelujah. My goodness, I, I've run out, I got some, a few others, but maybe I'll continue next week. You think I should wait and continue next week? Let me give you one more, then I will have to continue next week. 
Expect, and this is another one, if you want to divide the church, expect other people to serve you. Now, we know every church needs people to serve, but why should you have to? If you are asked to serve, try one of these excuses. I'll pray about that opportunity. Very, very spiritual, right? I will, I will pray about it. That means I don't want to do it. But instead of saying I won't do it, I will make myself, I will blame God. Oh, you know what? That's not really my spiritual gift. Or, and this is, this is, this is, this is, this, this is, I think, I've put in my time. Now it's someone else's turn. I've put in my time. Now let someone else do it. That cannot be our attitude, right? It's a privilege to be part of the body of Christ. It's a privilege to be gifted by God. Amen? And yes, there's diversity in the church. God made it that way, just like there's diversity in the body. But that diversity is for the purpose of unity, not division. That diversity is for the purpose of completion, not competition. The purpose of making us different and yet bring us into one body is because when we all come together with our different gifts, the body is healthier, the body is stronger, the body is richer, the body can do more. Listen to me. We are the body of Christ. We are members one of another. In the book of Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul was talking about unity and the division that was present in the church at Corinth. And he said in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, or literally I implore you, or I beg you, he said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, see to it that you speak the same thing, you have the same mind, you walk in unity. The apostle was begging and he was pleading, but he was not just begging and pleading for unity in his own name. He begged and plead and pled for unity in the name of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I don't want you to hear this appeal for unity as just coming from me. I want you to hear it as coming from the Lord himself. And this morning, I don't want you to hear what I just said as something coming from your bishop or your pastor. I really, really, really want you to hear this as coming from the Lord himself. Because God's plan and God's purpose depends on us functioning together as one. The only way the enemy can prevent God's glory from being fully revealed through us is if we fail to commit ourselves to the body he's brought us a part of, to use our gifts to build up that body, and to work together, serving one another in the bond of unity. Have you ever been or watched an orchestra on stage, playing Beethoven, and, and, and these, these uh, magnificent uh, uh, music that, that blesses the entire world. There may be over a hundred instruments, a hundred musicians, they're different, 
on stage. The, the cello, the violin, the drums, the strings, the horns, all on stage. All different. They come in different sizes, shapes, and colors. But they're on stage. And if you were to come into the room where they're gathered before the, 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 the show actually begins, you'll find them on stage, each of them tuning their instruments. Everybody's paying attention just to his or her instrument. You know, and you hear the drum doing what he does, the keyboarder doing what he does, the saxophone is doing what he does, the horn doing what they do, and they're all just focusing on their own instruments. And when you walk in to the untrained ear, it sounds like nothing but noise. Nothing but noise. Why? Because each one is focusing just upon his instrument and not on the others. Every sound he's making is just about his instrument. And when you got everybody just focusing upon his own instrument, without regard to the others, you get noise. And, 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 and noise originates from hell. God doesn't work with noise. God works with music. Amen? The earth was without form. The earth was without order. What did God do? The first thing he did was, he says, I got to bring order. Because I can't start creation until there is order. I can't carry out my plan until there's order. So when there's a lot of chaos, God must first establish order. And then God can work. When the prophet Ezekiel was given a vision of the valley of dry bones, all the bones were there, but they were all scattered. They were not together. The head bone, the jaw bone, the leg bone, the foot bone, all over the place. It was just nothing but death in the valley because all the bones were all scattered. But God stepped in and his desire was to raise up an army, a powerful army. And the first thing God said to, to, to the prophet, prophesied to the bones. Amen. And as he began to speak the word to the bones, the bones start to come back together. Amen. Jaw bone, hip bone, leg bone, toe bone, foot bone, head bone, all begin to come together in the right place. He brought order. He was bringing unity. He was putting them together. They were not designed to function separately. As long as they were separate, they were dead, dry, good for nothing. And that's a picture. When we are scattered because we're so individualistic, then we are good for nothing. When each of us is just focusing on our own instrument, we only make noise. We may like how we sound, but in the ear of those who are listening, it's noise. And so he said, prophesy. And when the bones came together, then he says, now, Call for the Holy Spirit, call for the wind, call for the Spirit. And then the Spirit came and he infused that body. And, and they that were dry, they stood up. And the Bible says they became an exceeding great army. Amen? But how did they become an exceeding great army? First, by becoming one. How was God able to fill them and empower them and use them mightily? It was only after they had allowed themselves to be joined together as one. Oh, God can do so much more than he's been able to do through us 
if we only will truly commit ourselves to being and functioning as and relating as the body of Christ here, joined together to serve him, together, not apart. And so they, they play with the instruments, they do all of that, but then it's time for the symphony, for the, for the, for the show to begin. Amen? And then they, they, they're on, 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 on stage, and the, the show begins. And all of a sudden, all of that noise disappears. And what you experience is some of the most beautiful music in the world. The saxophonist is still playing his saxophone. The drummer is still playing his drums. The keyboardists are still on their keyboard. Everybody is still doing what he or she is gifted and able to do. But all of a sudden, noise has been transformed into music. What's the difference? This is what happened. They all got together on the same stage at the same time. They all agreed to play the same music, and they all accepted to be led by one conductor. That music that is being produced could never have happened if they had not first of all agreed, we're gonna to gather together on the same stage. We're gonna agree on the same music, we're gonna play the same song. If everybody says, ah, I'm gonna play my song. I like Amazing Grace. Oh, I like A Mighty Fortress is My God. Me, I like Sinatra. <laughs> Amen. And everybody insists that they're gonna play their own song because that's what they like. They would have still made nothing but noise. But the reason why the noise became music was they came into agreement. This is a song we all are gonna play. Each of us, we. We're individual, we'll still use our instruments. I'm not gonna play the keyboard because that's not my ability, but I'm gonna play the drums. I may be a little bit louder, but I'm, when I'm beating the drums, I'm gonna be mindful that I don't beat it so loud that they can't hear the flute. So I'm gonna be sensitive to what other people are playing, but we're gonna get on the same stage. We're gonna play to the same song. We're gonna allow one conductor to conduct. Because if you're up there, you got three or four or five, and this group looking at that conductor, this group looking at that, and this group looking at that, you're going to have confusion, right? So we're going to have one conductor. All of us are going to have our eyes on that one conductor as we play our individual instruments. Wow. That's exactly what God is calling us to, folks. God wants to make the most beautiful music in the world through us. A divine, a divine symphony. And for that reason, he has gifted each of us to play our instrument. Each of us has a different instrument. But the key is for all of us to agree to come together on the same stage. If you want to have your own stage, and I have my stage, and you have your stage, it won't work. We got to come on the same stage Agree on the same song. Allow one conductor to lead. And each of us keep developing our own gifts, not for ourselves, but for the purpose of making the rest of the group feel sound even better.
That's what we're called to. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says they were all gathered together in one accord, gathered together on the same stage in unity. And they were all set of the same thing, glorifying the Lord Jesus. That's why they came to glorify him, to please him, to do his will. They didn't gather there each with their own agenda. No, they were there to fulfill one agenda, his agenda. Amen? And because they were gathered with one agenda at the same place, the Bible says they suddenly, from heaven, there was a heavenly sound. Music from heaven. Noise became music. <clears throat> because they were all gathered together. And the heavens opened. And oh, 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 what glorious things happened. Because the church were gathered together in one accord, in one place, with their minds set on him, all focused on doing his will, but doing his will together. That's my prayer for you, Bethel. That's my prayer for this local church. We're coming to the end of one year. We're about to begin another year. I'm appealing to each of us more than ever before to commit ourselves, not to ourselves, but to commit ourselves first to the Lord and to his body. And like never before, allow him to use your gifts. Not for you, but for the body he made you a part of. Stop just attending church. Become the church. Stop coming to be serviced. Come, ask the body of Christ to do your part to build up his body. Listen to me. The mission of the church is soul winning. The ministry of the church is bodybuilding. We must do both. Win souls, but build up the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord some praise. for listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www.bethelcityofhope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.